You're listening to another episode of the Sacred Changemakers podcast. My name is Jane Warrillow and I have another great guest lined up for you today. And it's another great person that I think you're just going to love. But before we enjoy a deep conversation together, I want to remind you why we're here. Because this podcast is about change and transformation, but not just any old change. We believe in change for good, which lies at the intersection of three things, purpose, impact, and prosperity for all. And we want to encourage you to think a little wider about your own life from your personal and professional development to also ask the question, how can I make a meaningful impact with my life? It's time for us to find a way to live in resonance with each other and all living things. And at Sacred Changemakers, we're here to help to build the foundations of a more equitable, loving and resonant world. But first, a word to our sponsor. Today's episode is sponsored by our sister company, Coaches Business School, who exist for one reason only, to help coaches fulfill their potential so they can live a meaningful life and grow their business in a way that is profitable, predictable, and purpose-driven. These are rare humans who have a deep purpose and calling to make a difference, and we help them make a greater impact. If that sounds like something you would be interested in, you can find out more information at coachesbusinessschool.com. Okay, so our guest on the podcast this week is Leanne Mallory, CEO of Guts and Grace Leadership. Leanne began her career as an executive coach at 26 years old, working with leaders and top teams from around the globe. Yet she soon found something was missing, the body. She now helps leaders combat burnout and align with purpose by bridging the gap between the hard driving logical mind and the deeper wisdom of the soul. Her book, Guts and Grace, offers an unexpected doorway to greater power, ethics, influence, and impact at work. Leanne, I can't tell you how thrilled I am to welcome you back to the Sacred Changemakers podcast as an encore guest, because I know we have a lot to talk about. So welcome, my friend. Thank you, Jane. It is a pleasure to be here again, and I'm (laughs) sure we have a lot to talk about. (laughs) No, we totally do. We totally do. And just for those of you that are listening, if you haven't caught Leanne's earlier episode, you need to go and check it out now because she was on episode 40. um, And I think it was around the time, Leanne, where your book was being published, Guts and Grace, which has now done so well. Um, And I've had so many of my clients read it and just love it. So I still recommend your book there. But I know your work has evolved a little bit. And that's really what I want to talk to you about today. But before we do, um, let's put today's conversation into context. And let me ask you, like, what do you make of the times that we're all living through right now? I mean, what sense of meaning is emerging for you? Mm. <laughs> it's such a it's such a gigantic question. And also, and sometimes it's just small question, right? It's so in our right. faces, and we're so in it. Um, I, true, right? Last time we connected was um, before COVID, before COVID was going to be a thing or we knew it was going to be a thing. So right. <laughs> here we are on the, not on the other side of that, but still kind of knee deep in whatever this last couple of years have been. Um, f- bottom line, and I don't think I'm anywhere near alone in this, is that I really have the impression that we're, we're on the path and we're in a moment of upgrade as, as a humanity, um, that there's something about everything that we're being faced with right now. That's asking us to consider 
how we've been and to to face the, the maybe the breakdowns or the things that we've built or the ways that we've been doing everything from business to life to leadership to um to to, to interacting with the environment that just doesn't quite work that we've built these systems that are um are suboptimal but have have been okay enough um maybe you know quote unquote good enough for for some of us not for all of us for sure and have been living inside of them for such a long time and when i I've been teaching the work of guts and grace and, and other things lately. One of the things I often preface with is it's been such a time of disruption. And yet at the same time, it's such a time of opportunity because we're not being let off the hook anymore to face the ways that what we've built doesn't work for us, or at least doesn't work for everyone. So um, I just, oh, <clears throat> I actually heard myself say, Earlier today, I was giving a talk and I said something to the effect of, I, I wished it was already over, but I also didn't because um, I don't think uh, us turning our, our eyes away from what's going on and just kind of going back to business as usual is really uh, an option. Uh, and I don't think it would serve us at this point in time. So um, I feel honored, blessed, delighted, really, in fact, to be a change maker at this moment and to be having to and getting to contend with everything that's going on in this moment and, and having that be a part of how things get unraveled so new things can be born. And I love what you just shared there about, you know, we you don't want this to be over right now because I'd never really thought about it in that way. It, you know, it's just, it's so easy to just feel exhausted <laughs> by all mm -hmm. the things that are going on right now and the complexities that we're all facing. And I know that, you know, uh, there's, there's a lot for us to reflect upon, I feel. And I totally agree with you that, you know, this is, I don't know, I, I heard somebody mention, I wish I could remember who said it, but I think I was listening to a podcast and somebody talked about these times as being soul-making times. Mm -hmm. And I just thought that feels so resonant to me. It feels mm -hmm. so right when somebody says that because it's almost like a calling back into deep reflection mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. from a soul space and not just from a head space, which is usually what's constructed a lot of these systems that we're living within. So totally. I love it. I love it. Totally. Now, I do want to ask because quite a few of our audience members here are like business leaders, they mm -hmm. either run their own businesses or they work inside of corporate organizations at, at different levels. And I just, so I'd love to get your sense because I know you work with leaders and I'd love to get your sense like how, how are like business leaders coping, you know, during these times and kind of what's challenging them? What are you noticing as, as, as they try their best to navigate? everything that's happening right now you know part of what I see Jane and um it's funny after I said what I said I was thinking well how unempathetic does it sound for me to say well I, I I'm not wishing it would go back to business as usual so um if that triggered anyone I hope you keep listening um because I don't mean it in the way maybe that it sounded but you know part of what I see is that there's Kind of like two camps of the way people are contending with this and and one is um let's just try to buckle down and get through it and or um hope wish and maybe pretend that it's going to go back to business as usual at some point in time and um and and you know it's not a bad coping strategy i think we're we're built somatically and through our, our minds are really built to just keep hearkening back or keep going back to the status quo because it's what has worked or it's what has 
um, what, what we've used to get by. Um, so I certainly see inside of a lot of businesses, this kind of pull to, to just get a little tighter, right. To, to be a little more careful or a little more rigid or a little more cautious or a little bit more, um, armored or a little bit more like hold our breath just a little bit more until we can, can get to the other side, quote unquote. I think that was a strategy I saw more at the beginning of the pandemic. It's almost like one can only do that for so long. So mm-hmm. perhaps less and less of that now. And then at the same time, um, I've also seen a number of businesses, many businesses, and also many folks in leadership roles going, um, now's the time to innovate, actually, either because we've been wanting to all along and now we have an excuse or, or often because we can't not, right? Because suddenly we don't have any more revenue coming in in the old stream or suddenly there's uh, something about the way we did business just isn't providing the results that it used to provide. And at some point we have to change. So um, I think there's really been an uprising in many different industries of, uh, of, of a different kind of or a different level of innovation that has uh, has been needed and and I think that's really the, the thing I'm most excited about at this time and my I imagine knowing your audience and knowing the people that you tend to speak to that um, folks in your world are probably uh, on that side of things or maybe we're a little bit of both but um, I think that's a real opportunity mm. and you know it, it's it's so interesting you were reminding me of the beginning of the pandemic and uh, I remember when we all were kind of thrown into lockdown um, back in 2020 gosh <laughs> I I remember talking to, so I was working with a a leadership team out of London at the time, and uh, they'd been talking for, I'm not joking, uh, and I'm not going to give away who the brand is, it's a brand everybody knows, they'd been talking about taking more of their like products and stuff online and they some more of their trainings online but they could just never get around to do it there was mm-hmm. never really the time or they just couldn't do it and and they'd had we'd had like timeline projections for these projects for like people were like saying things like six years mm. I'm not joking lockdown happened they got everything online within mm-hmm. like six weeks <laughs> <laughs> and, and I remember just like they they just like this the CEO was just like looking at me going don't say anything like we know we know Jane like we get it now because it was almost like forcing people into this like you say this this smaller box Mm -hmm. where not everything that used to be possible was now possible and therefore it was forcing us to innovate and I've heard Elon Musk talk about this a lot you know where he says one of the things he said is that if you put people into a smaller box, that's when they innovate, not when you give them a blank sheet of paper and a, a huge mm. blue sky, you know, where anything's possible. Innovation comes from like kind of putting people under pressure and putting constraints and boundaries in place. And that's certainly where we are. I still would say there are some industries that are in that space today. So it's important, I think, that we realize, and I think we've had some shift in what we believe is possible. Is that true for your clients? A hundred percent. And I, I, you know, it's just really kind of vibing on the, the piece around constraint and then having to, I've been, many of your folks may have read this, but um, read recently the book Ministry for the Future, which is really kind of a, a near in science fiction novel that's really about kind of what happens after the Paris Climate Summit 2023 and, and forward, right? And 
what you get to see as this is all played out for the next sort of 10, 20 years and what we're doing to, to solve climate change and to you know, save our species essentially, is that the, the greater the pressure we, we find ourselves under, the more things get turned up. Finally, we take the actions that we, um, we were avoiding taking or didn't feel we needed to take a number of years before, which is kind of unfortunate, but, um, you know, but lucky for us to have some forcing functions and lucky for us sometimes to get, um, to have boxes be squeezed. I think with my clients individually, um, you know, sometimes that looks like a breakdown of some kind. And I'm sure you see this as well. Sometimes that looks like uh, suddenly I got sick and I couldn't do it that way anymore. Or, wow, you know, the, the divorce that happened on the heels of all of the success that I had, for example, and um, from a, you know, more of a corporate client or an organizational client perspective, it's, it's a lot of the same of what you described. We just um, have to do something differently now. And therefore we realize that we can um, maybe it's just that the, um, the risk, <laughs> like the risk felt so big, but then, um, the, the risk of staying still gets so big that it, it suddenly outweighs the risk of not staying still. And then we move. Yeah. And then that tipping into motion is I think what this time is all about for us right now. Yeah. I hope. <laughs> yeah. And it's so interesting you saying that because, I think this is the first time in my entire career where, you know, that, that equation you've just talked about there, where the risk of staying the same has actually become more risky than, than, than changing. Because for most of my career, I've been trying to like, you know, create the business case for change. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and the, the, like, that's always been a bigger risk than staying the same. So fascinating yeah great insight thank you <laughs> so you know with so we, this so we have to capitalize on this moment yeah, we totally do we totally do but you know when you so you've mentioned their book the ministry for the future and I'll actually uh, put the link into the show notes for people if they're interested mm. but I'd love to get a sense of so you've read this book you're working in you know you're working in the field of change and transformation um, and what I want to know is you know kind of what are the what do you see as the future of leadership like kind of where are we headed with this that's, that's a large question Jane I thank know. you I always <laughs> ask big questions you know that <laughs> oh well the the first and the only thing that I can say at that that high level probably won't be that different than what we've talked about before but I I I deeply believe both through intuition and through practice that um, leadership tipping more toward the feminine is the future of leadership. And what I mean by that is that um, it's not enough to lead from the old paradigm that um, frankly was created very much by the folks who were granted authority or took authority to lead a number of years ago and back towards history, which primarily were men, um, primarily white men. And um, that there's there's a need for a more broad and diverse version of what leadership means and looks like uh, right now and in general that um, that will become the future. And part of my part of the, I would say like the theory of change that I've been really digging into, inspired by my work inside of Guts and Grace, and like seeding this new project that I know we're going to talk about a little bit later on, is that there are. There are folks inside of every system 
uh, you know, folks often, often lately, I find uh, often this role is held by a woman uh, who, ha who has apparently, let's say, less power in some way inside of a system, but a system being an organization, a community, a, uh, a town, a city, uh, you name it really, but that there are folks inside of a system who may not have the apparent authority or the designated authority but that nonetheless they have the blueprint in some way or they they can see the blueprint of what what the future could be like and that uh, in some way leadership first of all is to go uh, I can see that I trust myself there I can see that I I buy that there is something in that uh, and then the, the next step of leadership from, from that perspective can be to start to, to have our own backs and to really see ourselves as a vision holder or as a, a future, future code carrier of some kind. And then, um, of course, to be able to, um, to hold the line on that or to be able to really step into that. And that's not exactly the same thing as kind of leading from the feminine. I think that's more the conversation we had before. Um, but, you know, let's just say your identity in some way is not the same as the dominant quote unquote paradigm that, um, that actually embracing that identity and letting that be what you lead from, because frankly, it informs why you have the blueprint that you have or why you see the thing that you see, being able to trust that and come in more as your authentic self um, to bring that part of, part of your, your build forward to inform how the system might evolve. I think that's one of the highest versions of leadership that's possible right now. And I think you see that across gender right now, you see that across race right now, across many different kinds of difference that there's, um, there's a, a potential or a potentiality for rebalancing or changing something or evolving something, let's use the word evolve, evolving something about the system um, based on bringing the unique codes that you have access to or the things that you can see because of who you are, because of the ways that you're different to the four to be able to help evolve the collective towards something new. Um, that was a bit of a roundabout answer, but um, did I get close? <laughs> <laughs> so, so what I'm hearing you speak to here is, uh, and I'm just going to kind of headline it a little bit, and I, I apologize if I put words in your mouth because I'm not meaning to do that, but what I heard was that, you know, leadership is something that really begins at the identity level, you know, and at the individual level. And um, and with this kind of, I, I almost got the sense that, you know, these people that maybe don't have positional authority, these folks inside of systems that may not be aware of maybe their own power within the system. I don't know. I'm kind of making, assuming that from what you said, but it takes me straight to our title, which mm. is that you have the power to inspire a revolution. Mm -hmm you have the power right so that's that's directed to every listener <laughs> that's listening right now <laughs> you have the power to inspire a revolution now that seems to me something that not many of us realize and i'd love you to kind of you know talk us through that a little bit about what you mean by that because on the one hand i can see that you know, if I think of some people I know, that would be a scary prospect. Like, what do you mean? They inspire a revolution. And then for other people, it's like, well, I'm just trying to get through the day, really. Do I, like, really? And and then coupled with that, so I'm sorry, I'm loading a lot of stuff on here. 
<laughs> and I'm not this. taking notes. So we'll I know you're not do. taking notes. <laughs> so I had a realization and I'm wondering, I guess, if you have had some similar thing because of the evolution of your work as I, I've seen it um, over the past few years, which is that I've, I've, I have personally worked in change and transformation now for, um, oh gosh, over three decades. <laughs> and mm. in all that time, I had the realization during lockdown that um, I can count on one hand the number of times I've had a conversation with any client that has really gone beyond the me, what I would call the me conversation, the individual conversation mm. of like, what's in it for me kind of thing, but building the business case for whatever we're about to do. Mm. And, and when I say me, that can be my team, my department, my organization as well. It's not just necessarily one individual. And I felt quite disappointed in myself that I haven't really ever extended that conversation to the world at large. Mm -hmm. Which is, you see, this realization of my own is embedded in your work now in terms of you have the power to inspire revolution. I didn't even realize that we each individually had that power before at all. Change for me was more or less an individual process and became a collective process when it was an organization of some sorts. But what I had never thought about is what does the world need from you as a leader today? Mm -hmm. And I, I see that thread now running through your work. <laughs> so I guess that's kind of my question. It's not a question. It's a really bad question, but um, it's really just asking you to walk us through your experience of, of that. Yeah, there's a lot here. Yeah. Um, I mean, the first piece I think is in one way, you, we have to meet people um, where they are. And if someone's like, hey, I just want the next promotion, then, then that's the conversation yeah. we start with, right? So wherever you're at and whatever you can see or feel in terms of what inspires you to grow or change, that's a great place to start. I see everything as holographic and I see everything through the lens of a web. And so for me, anytime that I work with a client, what I'm really seeing and um, sensing in in their story in their in their life in their history and in their and where they're positioned inside of this entire web um, that there's always the potential for massive ripples or massive kind of waves that come out from where they are so I'll give you an example I have worked for a couple of years the woman who um, you know loosely to to preserve identity essentially loosely she's working at an organization that is um, related to climate insurance and inside of her world there's a certain way that things are done but you know things are changing when it comes to what our climate is doing and what uh, what's happening from a from a, an environmental sustainability perspective and so um, what the meaning of her work could be or what her work could be used for is um, could mean many different things that are quite new if you take a broader perspective or a wider perspective. Now, when I first started working with her, she wasn't um, even the CEO of the organization. She was really just positioned in kind of in the middle of this organization. And yet there was something in her that went, this doesn't feel quite right. It doesn't feel quite fair. It doesn't feel quite coherent in some way. And right away, I could see and feel the possibility that if she took that 100% seriously, did her own work to really grow herself as a leader and as a change maker, that not only could it shift 
her role and the organization's focus, but also what was happening in the broader industry. And then the industry could shift what was happening on the planet based on the unique position that they held inside of this entire web. And so more and more in my work, um, the work of Guts and Grace and the work that's coming beyond Guts and Grace, I'm curious about how, uh, how the entire hologram of what one could impact plays out. I don't always, uh, we, we often don't know the answer to that, right? So it's really playing in a space of curiosity, infinite possibility, outrageousness. I'm working with another client where I'm like, what would be the outrageous version of what this tiny thing you could do could become if we played it out at this level and then that level and then that level. But then it starts to be that we see ourselves not only as these little players, whether or not we have real positional authority, but maybe we're like a certain kind of a, um, you know, a drop in the pond that has these, these much, much bigger impacts. And what if we actually decided that that was so and took that seriously and started to craft our life story in that way and our vision of ourselves as leaders as that way. Well, then what would be possible? Then what starts to happen is um, you can meet other people on the edges of where those ripples intersect. So it starts to happen that I'm not just me trying to get a promotion inside of this world, or I'm not just me trying to get my organization to the next million or billion dollars, but actually I'm me holding a unique position inside of a web that's all connected. And then when I shift something and it uh, ripples over here and bumps that, that could be done on purpose in a way that creates something even better. Um, and you know, to your, your point of the intro to your podcast, what kind of change, not just any change, but a change that might upgrade things for, for all of us in some way, right? We can choose that, we can intend that, decide that, and we can do that no matter what our title is. So coming back to this question of like, you know, do I, do I think that leadership without positional power is interesting? I think it's fascinating. Uh, I think in fact, those that have the potential to create the most change inside of a system are probably not the ones that already have the positional authority. I, I am hearing myself say that and then I'm going, do I mean that kind of? Because if I'm already at the top, I mostly got here because what I'm bringing is resonant enough with what people already are doing or already think is happening that they gave me that power because it was easy. <laughs> not easy, right? I'm not, I'm not saying like it was easy to get to the top, but in some way often it's like I'm close enough to the general zeitgeist that I was able to get that far. Whereas someone who's not there yet or is very different than who's there, well, what they have might be um, quite transformational if they saw it and then we saw it or we uplifted it as a possible um, another aspect of what else we could become. So um, I'm really interested in the, you know, kind of the small and then the hologram to the very large and those ways that these bigger ripples can get created. Gosh, you said so much there that was so profound. I wish I could remember it to underline some <laughs> of the stuff, but it was, uh, I love the way you've tied the ripple effect in because I tell you what I got from what you just said there. And it's a, a quote I heard Maya Angelou say a, a, a while back. And it was a question she asked and she apparently she said it to Oprah and she said, do you want to be the best in the world or do you want to be the best for the world? Mm -hmm. And that's what I heard you talking about there in terms of leadership. Like sometimes when I've worked with leaders, sometimes they struggle to kind of understand why they're a leader. 
or what this means to them in their personal identity in their personal life and it's almost like they're just doing a job because that's what they should be doing mm-hmm. whereas what you're talking about now is is like tethering your why to something bigger than even the organization you work for like now you're becoming someone who is playing a part in that web that you I mean like when you said it I just visualized it this this whole on you are you are literally a whole on in the whole holograph of reality so what you do or don't do matters and I and, love that well and why not tell that kind of story right because especially including and especially if I don't have positional power or frankly, I'm in an organization where I'm being discriminated against or I'm not being seen, but nonetheless, right? But nonetheless, we still could choose to be telling our story in that way and then therefore creating more and more of the possibility that actually we are having these kinds of ripples and it's not just about that next rung on the ladder or that next billion dollars, but something much bigger. So the the great thing Mm -hmm. is we get to decide how we frame what our leadership is about and what we're impacting. Funny thing, Jane, I have to tell you because um, we're, we're doing this in a way where my phone is near me and uh, the, the person whose story I just told just texted me at this very moment and said, <laughs> lots of wins this week. I have to tell you about them. And this is what happens too, is that we're all connected in this web and then this magic starts to happen. So she must have felt us talking about her. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I love that. I mean, synchronicity is just amazing. Um, and, and like you say, the, in, the interconnectivity of all of life is fascinating to me. It really is. And, and it, it puts me sometimes, sometimes it's too big a picture for me to hold, <laughs> right? And, and I notice this when I'm working in this kind of space with, with, with leaders, um, in this kind of the globalization of their work or their leadership or whatever, they're often, they often like go, oh, no, that's too big. Like, I can't do that. Can we just keep it a bit smaller? <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's a responsibility here, isn't there? Sure you know, that comes with this commitment to your identity or committing your life or your identity or your leadership in this way. But you said something really profound that uh, I want to, I do want to underline it. And I I do want to kind of highlight it for people, because to me, this is just such an incredible insight, which is what if the power to shape the future of our world doesn't lie at the top of organizations because almost those people are not liberated enough because they've got there, like you explained, to actually be free enough to make the decisions that need to be made because they're in the paradigm that was rather than the paradigm that could be. Hmm. And so I love this idea that organizations are filled with people who believe today potentially that they don't have a lot of power to change, but they're the people that hold the key, Mm -hmm. particularly when you think about minorities within organizations, Mm -hmm. when you think Mm -hmm. of it in terms of gender or race, that is so empowering. It's still hard work. And I, I, I definitely wouldn't <laughs> want to be on the record saying nobody who's at the top is really a deep change maker, has a different paradigm, because there certainly are those of us who've created the organizations or climbed up and have it anyway. But just to say, right, that in, in some cases, if you're looking up and going, huh, that seems like the old way. And here I am with this new way to go. Yeah, maybe that's so. And maybe that's actually the next thing that you get to unlock is that that, that is your truth and that is your leadership and the potential that 
you have will come from that position, which isn't necessarily what looks like an obvious power position. Right. So obviously, if you find yourself in that position, and no, I don't want to negate people at the top either, but definitely, I think there's something interesting in what you said there that I definitely want to sit with. But how... One of the first things that, you know, for anything to ever happen in organizational life, it usually starts with a business case. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. how do, you know, how do people make that business case for the change that we're talking about here, which just to be clear is, is different to just any old change, isn't it? Because, you know, it's regenerative change that I'm hearing Mm -hmm. you speak to here. So I'm not sure if we need to spell out what that is for our audience. Maybe that would be helpful to explain the diff- how change is changing <laughs> in organizational life. But also then, how do we go about creating a business case for that where, you know, the leadership, the people in power will say, OK, this sounds like a good idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, there's this could be an entire um, conversation, just these questions. Right. And I, I, again, don't claim to have all the answers, but. Um, to speak a moment to regenerative, I think the the primary, you know, evolution of this, whether it be we're talking about business or we're talking about environmental practices that we're not just talking about sustainable, like we can kind of, it, it can run and maintain, maintain, but that actually whatever we're doing generates more, whatever we're doing is, um, is naturally replenishing. And I think so much of what we do with our own energy, with the ways that we run businesses is actually naturally depleting or naturally in the opposite direction. And so then this question of regenerative business practice, regenerative ways of being in our own bodies, for example, regenerative environmental practices starts to to ask us to be more creative in terms of um, how could we rebuild the whole system of choices that we're making or the entire um, constellation of practices that we're in or policies and the ways that they come together but the ultimate outcome is more life for everyone more maybe more freedom more possibility more hope more life more access more resource and that it is um growing over time or um as opposed to that it's that it's leading to less for some or less of something um and that's a, a massive puzzle to solve like it's just not how we've really done you know, from from the moment of um, beginning to uh, clear cut forests, for example, and then to go, great, we need these to build homes. Awesome. And then we do more and more of that. And we've got some great homes, but then we have no trees left. I'm being a little bit oversimplified, but right, there's something that we've just naturally done as human consumers that um, haven't, that, and then we've built on top of that and built on top of that into an entire way of practicing being human that generally uh, takes and doesn't necessarily fully give back. And I'm not talking about all peoples on the world, on the planet, of course, but um, those of us who have industrialized and moved in these directions that we call progress, quote unquote. Um, So there's, there's a a pivot point around that. And then now I'm going to try to remember the second part of your question or your TM, um, but to speak about regenerative, that's that's what we're we're pointing toward or we're aiming for. Will you remind me the second yeah, piece of what you just? It was mentioned? just the business case. If somebody's mm, right, listening right, right. to this and they've got a sense that okay, they don't feel they have any positional authority mm-hmm. within an organization, mm-hmm. but that they've got a sense that things could be different, mm-hmm. and they'd like to maybe start a conversation around that. I mean, do you have any advice about 
how to go about that, how to be a champion for this kind of regenerative change within the organization when you're not at the top, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I think the first thing that one needs to know is that it's hard. Um, And it's hard because in essence, you're asking those who have been doing their best to hold down something that works kind of maybe well or maybe not that well to let go of something or to embrace something that isn't a guarantee. It's like, um, you know, who wants to let go of what, what we have for what might or might not be possible. And so I think there's a huge piece of um, empathy required, even if you don't like the person that you're trying to convince <laughs> or you have very different politics or you do or don't get along that, that it can be so easy to go, but you should just get this or, you know, that, that, that it, it should be obvious and it may or may not be obvious, but nonetheless, it's a let go. Nonetheless, it's a surrender. Nonetheless, it's all of the things that we don't easily want to do as human beings. One of my clients does um, visioning future work at a very high level with organizations and she was sharing with me a a particular philosophy where it's a lot about looking at well what are the things they're going to have to let go of to embrace the change that you're wanting to lead and some of them are very juicy things that they don't want to let go of so can we be um, aware of that can we actually be in um, more more reality about that while also um, having our own backs in gaining our own both clarity about what the potential or the possibility is as well as um i mean it's really just the upside of the risk right it's like what would what would have this be worthwhile and i think to the point of where we were a little earlier in this conversation the place where you'll find leverage is often a layer or two above the place in the hologram you're all typically currently looking right so um it it may be that uh it's if we're talking about your business that we need to look industry-wide or we need to look you know something even bigger than industry-wide to have it uh to have the the possible upside become more clear if we just keep seeing ourselves as these small players and these small worlds um it can be harder i think also the timeline uh you know it's like if we're just looking at next quarter uh so many of these things may have a dip uh there may be a pullback for example for a moment before we actually get to the benefit of the change actually you and i were just talking about that in our own businesses right that we open to something more and then the first thing that happens is the bottom drops out for a second and we have to go okay hold on wait can i trust this and yeah and and we don't know we don't know if we can trust this so that's one of the reasons that it's not easy to build Mm -hmm. a business case and when we can take the longer timeline horizon and we can look at bigger um, bigger parts of the infrastructure of the game that we're playing, we can start to, um, to build at least the case for inspiration. And sometimes, I don't know about what you see, but um, sometimes uh, big decisions inside a business that make a big change are made based on a business case. But sometimes they're, they're made because somebody persuades someone at the top, either through, you know, uh, a, a pivotal moment of inspiration or uh, a broken heart or whatever, that something has to be done differently. And it's worth trying, even if we don't know if it's going to. And if I think about many of the inspiring companies out there, often it was a person or two um, who had an experience or had a, had a, a breakthrough or a breakdown that had them go, we're going to try this anyhow, even if we're not 100% sure. 
and then the business case from there is like, how do we do that as safely? How do we do that as, um, as responsibly as possible, right? That we're not just like throwing ourselves into it then that we have enough of a case of here's what the different scenarios could be and where it could go. Um, so that's a little bit to say um, it's not all about the business case. And also it's hard to build a business case. And then maybe the business case is the, it backs up the inspiration on the back end. You may completely disagree with me about that. I think you're a better businesswoman than I am. <laughs> oh, I don't know about that. But, um, <laughs> you know, as I'm listening to your talks, some things really like, I don't know, kind of coming up for me, which is whenever I, I work with people in change, the changes that are always sometimes, well, sometimes more challenging are the ones that hit us at an identity level mm -hmm. so it's not just changing what I'm going to do but mm. it's changing who I am who I believe myself to be my worldview if you like mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I think this is why for me particularly it feels like a perfect storm right now because it's almost like we're not just asking leaders to do different things Mm -hmm. we're actually kind of shifting them at an identity level. It's like, um, you know, sometimes I can look at it and think, okay, and there's that great book by Naomi Klein, you know, uh, Capitalism Versus Climate Change, right? Mm -hmm. That's one way of looking at it, right? And then I think about some of my, my clients that are CEOs and incredibly successful looking from the outside in, they're very successful. They don't always feel successful on the inside, but they're very successful on the outside. But our definitions of success are changing, mm -hmm. right? And so then, you know, what we're really doing is asking people, like, who do you want to become? Mm -hmm. And I had a conversation earlier this week with a guy who was saying to me, I don't want to do this, but I have to do this. Mm -hmm. And I have to do it because I want to be on the right side of history. And mm -hmm. I can see that this is inevitable. And so it was almost like at an identity level, that's what had tipped him over. Uh, not because he could make the business case, just like you were saying, yeah. it was more like an intuitive, I need to be on the right side of history. And it just feels like yeah. the right thing to do. Do you, have you encountered that in that way? A hundred percent. Absolutely. And, you know, it's funny that the other thing that's coming up, and I don't know if I've ever fully articulated this in this way, but um, but that, what you just said, and then this like possibility of becoming, you could say something more elevated or like a, a higher, more purposeful version of ourselves, going back to the conversation we we're having earlier about the even bigger ripples of the way we could be part of a much larger hologram of change than we would dare to imagine ourselves, that there's this funny thing about human beings, including those of us who are leaders, where it's like, we don't want to dare to see ourselves as that important. Or we don't want to dare to see ourselves as that big. How confronting is that, right? There's the Marianne Williamson quote, like, who are you not to be? Um, but how, you know, our greatest fear is not that we're small, but that we're, we're, all, of, we're all of this brilliance. And I think in some weird way, uh, the part of our egos that are like, not, not want, not like af afraid to or resistant, let's say resistant to being all of that are, are part of actually why it's, it's hard to step into that, in fact. Because in some ways it's like, oh, it's too risky or what if we lose money or all of these things. But also it's like, well, who the, who the hell am I to be the person who changed the entire industry in that way? 
yeah well who are you not to be (laughs) (laughs) great question (laughs) who are you not to be and then then I think we can get more honest with ourselves because our is it really about our fear of losing the money or actually is it about how terrifying this much bigger game would be and who it would become if we decided to play it maybe that's really the driver but we just keep pretending it's something else I love that because I think there's some insight in there because, you know, for me, it, it does take courage. I know I've been in this like sacred change maker space now for over two years and it takes courage. And I, I mean that in the, the French sense of, mm-hmm. you know, the courage of the heart in mm-hmm. many ways, sometimes it's, it's more challenging. I find it more challenging to truly care about the future of our world than if I would. Ju- There's some days when mm. I just go, God, it'd mm. be much easier to just go and work in Walmart. <laughs> right. But, yeah. but that that's not me. And that's not, you know, that's not what I care most about. I do care about these things, which sometimes puts me in places where I don't, well, I don't feel comfortable. I just have to be really honest with it. I don't feel comfortable. I don't know the answers. I know it's emergent and I have to trust that. And this is where your word grace comes in mm. for me because without grace, I don't think I could operate in this space. Mm. I really don't think I could. So that's why I love your your kind of the polarities. You talk about the guts, like right? and the grace mm-hmm. it really is those two <laughs> things and I think as women we have an inherent understanding of that in a way that so I'm going to say something provocative now for the men listening but <laughs> you know I do feel that women have more of a I don't know an opening and nurturing in this space and I'd love to hear what you think of that because you're in there in the depths working with women in this space yeah Oh, will you say the question again? Yeah, see, see, I kind of, I <laughs> kind of went, it was very so provocative. Like, hold on, bring it back in. <laughs> so I'm just going to say the direct question, uh-huh. answer it how you like. Great. Is it easier for women to open to this space than men? <laughs> that was way more direct, thanks. <laughs> oh, is it? I think it is, and I think it's probably for a number of reasons. Um, Okay. I think one, I think one, there's just a build, a build thing. There's a build that is a a surrender to creation part of our natural, physical, physiological, mental, emotional build that is just like we we give birth. I have not given birth. And we do that as as females, right? That there's a um surrender to the mystery, open up and let something literally come through us that is terrifying and that is what we're built to do what we're designed to do so there's this um, kind of very biological truth and then there's also something this moment which relates back to what we're saying about power right that if um if as if as men we've been kind of the dominant leadership paradigm and we've learned that there's a right way to do things and that we've got all this pressure to maintain that in all these different ways, right? To keep up the system that has been built that has been designed for folks that maybe look like us or are built like us and that there's this maintenance going on. And so to break out of that, there's a lot of pressure not to. 
Whereas maybe for those of us who aren't benefiting as much from that, it's a little bit easier to go, great, let's blow it all up or let's just let it unravel a little bit because it's not really working for us anyhow. So um, I think in some ways there's probably a, at this moment in time, um, there's, there's a constellation, these being two of different reasons why it may be easier to surrender and open to these these things that we might um call change or or what's you know what's coming um if we're if we happen to be uh female or, or female identified or, or some some combination of that um i probably have many other answers but that's what i've got at this moment in time <laughs> around that question um, so is that why you work because I, I so I'm making an assumption here but I, mm. I assume you work mainly with women um still <laughs> I, I I do and I don't so you know um so if you've listened to my podcast I probably shared this but um I I started my work at 26 I was working at a company that did transformational leadership for top teams uh executive leaders uh, both groups and individuals and we were taking people to the edge, right? We were working with a lot of teams that were trying to do big stuff and then they were um, armored in their own ways or working on getting out of their old programming to be able to lead at higher levels and, um, you know, not not break relationships along the way. Um, certainly at that point in time, there were a lot of uh, men that I was working with and I still will do build uh, programs for organizations and teams. I also have a really powerful uh, eight-week program for high potentials, which is a mixed-gender program that is using a lot of the deep work I teach, like teaching guts and grace, but anyone can really use it. It's somatics, embodiment, mindfulness, and transformation. And uh, the guts and grace book and methodology was really written with the with the modern uh, revolutionary female in mind. Uh, and I guess what I mean by that is the 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 kind of change maker that we're talking about that has p- perhaps some access to the blueprint or an idea about what might be next or needed next and wants to really lean into that or grow into that both for themselves and then for their organizations or for their communities. Um, so in the sense of where do I spend most of my time, I would say I do more and more work mostly with women. And when I decided to write the book in a voice that was specifically addressing women as opposed to a book that anyone can read and feel it was written for them. Uh, I I really said kind of what you said, which is like at this moment in time, I think that's where there may be the most leverage to create even broader change. And so I've kind of joked like in a number of years, I'll write the next book that's for everyone. Um, But at this moment, this is where it felt like the the kind of intervention would have the most potential for taking hold uh, is in in folks who happen to be of this particular build and design and in this particular moment right now. So so kind of a long way to say, yes, I work a lot with women. I run a year long (laughs) program for women. That's really about uh, dismantling, unraveling all the ways we've been programmed and therefore bringing more of our real unique build forward to be able to lead well. And can you tell us a little bit about the meme project? Because I am so (laughs) excited about this. I really am. You know, as a woman who is really active uh, through Sacred Changemakers in terms of helping 
others kind of shape the future of our world. This is something that, you know, when you told me about it, I was so excited. But And your sustainability summit that's coming up. I'd love to just get your sense of like why this, why this expression of your work and, you know, who are the kind of people that would really benefit from it? Yes, for sure. So this, um, it's interesting, the vision for what we're working on now started probably, I don't know, five, seven years ago, almost. Um, and it was really one of those, like, you will do this. And then, okay, hold on, when and how? <laughs> Who am I to do that? So I'm going, taking my own medicine and growing into this right now. But um, the the vision for the main project is that we uh, are kind of bringing together the power of inner work and like real deep transformation to bring more of our full selves forward and therefore what we can contribute or what we can lead. And then pairing that with the power of network. So doing that in uh, concert with folks who are like you and also working on challenges related to the ones that you're working on. So in essence, what we're trying to do is a little bit of curation that helps make that web of overlap and potentiality that I described earlier uh, happen on purpose. So what we've seen is that in the year-long program for women leaders that we run, there will be, you know, sometimes folks who have a little bit of a similar puzzle piece or they um, they need to know each other for some reason. Maybe they're actually going to collaborate or they, um, you know, they're in close enough industries that they can actually cross-pollinate information and therefore that amplifies both of the strategies that they're working on. And we just kind of went, well, what if we made that happen on purpose? What if we got the people who, who needed to be together in a room and then did the work so that rather than it being a little bit here and there by accident, it was happening uh, in a kind of multipl- multiplicative way. So what that looks like in practice is that we are bringing together um, as, a, as a pilot, right, or initial or inaugural event as a group of women working in sustainability. So they might be heads of uh, corporate social responsibility or sustainability in their organizations, in larger organizations. They might be running uh, innovative startups that are working on sustainability, or they might be in government or nonprofit organizations that are working on policy or working on creating uh, community-based or, or, or social change related to sustainability. We're bringing them together for a uh, an activation event. Uh, we're calling it a summit. We could have called it a retreat. We could have called it a conference, <laughs> but it's a small group of folks coming together to share strategies, to learn some practices, but also to do a lot of transformation and inner work together. And through that process to, um, to see what kind of both collaborations or just like mutual support relationships evolve that expedite and amplify what's trying to happen across the field of sustainability to try to lift the tide uh, in some way that's meaningful, right? Because any one of us can do that and we are doing that and we will do that. But if we're connected and we lift all at the same time, does that amplify the ripple in the system? So currently, we have a summit coming up in March of 2022, which is just actually a couple of weeks out as we're recording this podcast. And our plan is to do that probably once a year with some network building and deepening of relationships and possible training or, or some kind of a cohort model in between. Um, so it's, it's an evolution of what we've been doing inside of Guts and Grace. Guts and Grace program will still exist, but this is a way to make it um, a little bit more specific network based to work on specific problems, sustainability being the very first one we're going to tackle for the next couple of years. It seems to me like such a valuable 
like offering that you're bringing here because you know I I know the power of relationship and connection when you're in this kind of a space um and just to amplify the results that you get I can just imagine that that would be amazing so I mean thank you for sharing that and if anybody's <laughs> intra in this space um you know and you can benefit all of the links will be in the show notes below so that you can go take a look for yourself because it sounds like exactly what the we need right now <laughs> so I thank love you. it thank you so um <laughs> just one last thing before we complete our conversation today Leanne I mean we've talked about so many like different aspects of deep change and transformation and regenerative business and leadership and sustainability and guts and grace and I just wonder you know if you have any kind of I don't know final words of wisdom or something you want to share with our audience that we haven't had chance to get to what might that be you know in some ways I would just come back to our title right the power to create or to to drive or inspire a revolution um this might be more of a, a distillation versus something new but I was thinking um just a little bit ago as we were talking about a number of different folks that I work with where the, the process of opening to true impact, like the kind that most of us crave in some way, even if we're afraid of it, um, is the process of like letting go of certain veils and um, allowing the possibility of us to be even more authentic, even more who we actually are. And then that, that could be um, the key or the gateway to what our true impact, what our deepest impact could be. Um, and so I think the thing I would want to leave any listener with is what are the ways you're censoring? What are the ways you're slightly short ordering or the ways that you're um, just a little bit less than truth telling about what you see or about what you, your gifts are or about who you really are or about what you actually might be positioned to bring. And, you know, and at this point, you don't even have to do anything about it. Just start to notice because like you and I were saying earlier, Jane, um, saying yes to that or like right opening into that is a certain kind of responsibility. And maybe we're not ready for that or maybe we are. But it's useful to know and to pay attention versus live in a story that there's no more there for you or that you don't actually have agency or that, um, you know, who am I? Who, who do I think I am? And it's funny of course as these things always go I'm taking my own medicine as I'm saying this out loud but I think that's the thing I would most want to offer as a reflection as an and as a next step for anyone who listens it's so profound I am um, after we finish recording I'm going to go and sit with that question because <laughs> there are some questions aren't there that you just can't answer I mean you, you just got to go mm. and sit with it and I have to tell you there's a little bit of fear <laughs> coming up in my body as I was as I'm considering sitting with that question so uh, if you're feeling that and you're listening just know mm -hmm. you're not alone I'm there too so but what a valuable question about where I'm censoring where I'm short ordering where I'm not quite telling the whole truth to myself mm. I'm sure there's a few places that need to be looked at so thank you Leanne oh my gosh I love talking to you my friend I have truly enjoyed our conversation today me and too and I just know our listeners will, they'll be absolutely full to the brim, feel so inspired. So thank you so much for stopping thank by. Thank you. 
Okay, folks, that's all we have time for today. Thank you so much for listening in. Now, before we go, I want to remind you that all the resources and links for our guests are in the show notes at sacredchangemakers.com. A big thank you to our sponsors, who are Coaches Business School, who are helping us to make a direct impact aligned with the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, all visible on our website. And if you're a coach wanting to grow your impact, you will need to understand how to build a business that works today. Check out Coaches Business School's unique frameworks and methods to help you grow your business in a way that works for you and your clients and helps make a meaningful difference in our world. Hashtag transition team. It's time to build a bridge from what you want in life to include what the world needs from you. And together, we can make a meaningful difference. Again, you can find us at sacredchangemakers.com and our sponsors at coachesbusinessschool.com. And if our episode resonated with you today, I hope you'll consider joining us. So for now, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your intention and your efforts to make our world a better place. Until next time, lots of love.